Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name's Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? Doing pretty good, Richie. What's going on? You know, um, I was sick a couple weeks ago, and uh, during that whole thing, I like to watch like documentaries. So, like half of it was Plural Sight, and the other half was like documentaries. So instead of like watching like a hardcore documentary, I finally was able to get down and watch Band of Brothers. Oh, how was that? It was intense. So Band of Brothers is covers Easy Company, uh, a, a company in the World War II of paratroopers, and kind of goes through all the craziness that uh that 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 war has entailed on that company and it was amazing i think it was done back way back in 2001 and i just it's always been on i need to see this list never really got to it you know trying to avoid it a little bit but man was that powerful It, it was it was powerful it was realistic it was uh amazing nice that's very cool so what's new with you you know i actually haven't gone on a lot of vacations lately you know i think it's about time i took a trip so next week the family is going to be headed down to barbados for a couple of days i'm actually looking forward to it man i haven't left the united states for quite a while like i haven't been over the seas in a little bit so we're gonna head down spend about you know five or six days down there just relaxing enjoying the food you know enjoying the beach you know a real beach and uh you know just taking it easy man i'm really looking forward to it yeah, I guess doing things Caribbean people do. Yeah, a lot of nothing. <laughs> Just eating and enjoying the beach, you know, probably try and ride some jet skis and, you know, do the tourist thing. And um, yeah, that's it, man. Just just do nothing. Wow. Well, I hope you have a good trip, man. Yeah, man. I'll let you know how it goes. Cool. So we have any events coming up? So on June 26th to 29th, O'Reilly will be having their Artificial Intelligence Conference in New York City. So from bots and agents to voice and IoT interfaces, learn how to implement AI in real-world projects. Delve into the latest research to learn how AI is changing the business landscape. Best price ends April 7th. And don't forget to use discount code capital P, capital C, away to save an additional 20% on most passes. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Joe Overlean. Joe has been a successful iOS app creator for over 10 years. He's built over 30 apps in various categories and over 30 million downloads under his belt, holding the number one spot in 94 countries. The Ugly Meter app was one of his most successful. It even landed him spots on the Howard Stern Show on four separate occasions. Joe's expertise lies not only in technology and development, but in the business aspects of being an independent tech entrepreneur. Since his days as an iOS consultant, he has moved on to fund SwingDev, which specializes in web and mobile app development for individuals and companies ranging from startups to Fortune 500. This episode was recorded on March 7th, 2017. And now our conversation with Joe Overly. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. So for this episode of Away From The Keyboard, I'd like to welcome our guest, Mr. Joe Overline. So hi, Joe. How are you doing, man? Doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing pretty well. 
So thank you for being on the show, first of all. Welcome. And uh, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, gosh, sure. Well, I uh, started software development or computers in general very early. My uh, my dad bought me my first computer when I was in eighth grade, and I, I really didn't know much even, like, it was like Windows 3.1 days. I didn't even RL. know how to know how to turn it on. <laughs> you know, that was my that was my level back then. And you know, my 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 general interest in it got me playing around. I discovered like QBasic, and then I was fascinated that I could make the computer do things. And it it just kind of evolved from there. Just playing, experimenting, and you know, I, I really got deep into software development, and um, not as not professionally uh more is a, a hobby and something that i was passionate about and over time the the mobile app space got big i i went into that market um, and again just because I, I liked to do it and had some success there and really just kind of forged a path where where that success was leveraged into um, what I'm doing today which is swing dev and which has been just an amazing an amazing experience and uh, one of the greatest software dev houses in the world as far as I'm concerned <laughs> nice so so Joe you mentioned you're into the the mobile application development space but I want to take a step back a little bit and kind of figure out well how did you even get interested in building mobile apps in the first place? Well, mobile apps specifically, I was actually out of software development for quite a while. And when the, basically the iPhone and iPad came out, I just, I just saw it as an exciting new opportunity to do, to do something new and pretty much just jumped into it there. It was, uh, it was amazing technology. And at the time, you know, all of us, when we first saw our first iPhone, I mean, I think we can pretty much all say it's pretty, pretty amazing to experience that. And I kind of wanted to just jump deeper into it and learn more. And so when you started to get into iOS development, you mentioned that you were in programming previously, right? So were you, you know, I'm guessing, did you have like a regular nine to five development job before kind of thing? No, I've actually never had a had an official job doing software development. It's always been stuff that I uh, really? that I did on the side. Yeah, and I was actually I was actually kind of out of software for a number of years until the uh, the mobile space opened up again, and it caught my interest. And so I want to talk about what are what are some of the first apps that you can remember building even before you got into you know the iOS space. Before that, I don't I don't even remember. It was. It was uh, it was too. It was too long before I had a good ten year break before I got back into the mobile apps. So um, early on in the iOS days, I there were several things we that I was working on. There was some successes. There were some failures, and you know, one of the kind of the billboard success that everyone you know publicly sees is uh, Ugly Meter, which was something I had just built because I needed to learn how to use the iPhone camera. And, you know, next thing we know, there's 30 million downloads of this app. And that was a great success and unintentional success. I wish I could have said I was a great planner and and take all the credit for that. But there's a lot of luck involved. And really the next steps of taking that luck that success and turning it into something bigger like that's where like that's where i really had more control of the future and you know that that was a great success story and then i had uh failure certainly too like uh, my 
friends and I made a game called uh, Monsters Invade Oz, and it was like a Pokemon style. We we all wanted to make it's the coolest thing in the world to make a game, right? So we all wanted to do that, and uh, we spent gosh almost a gosh year and a half on this game, and um, it was lined up for success. It won awards. Apple featured it, and like all these things happened, but it essentially made no money, and we pretty much spent over a year for uh, for no monetary payout. I mean, we, we had a great time and we, we really were doing it for ourselves. We were passionate about it and we had fun, but it was, uh, it was painful to see, to see that it would uh, utterly fail in the end. So I want to take a step back a little bit and you mentioned first Ugly Meter. So, so tell us about that app a little bit. Sure, that was... Uh, uh, little mini project you know the the new iphone came out and it had a had a camera and i needed to learn how to use the camera and so i was sitting thinking of some something i could do and i was like you know what i'm gonna make an app that scans a person's face and it gives you a rating and tells you how attractive you are and (laughs) wow I mean, I was make. I made this as a joke. I had no intentions to market it. But, you know, when I, like a lot of software developers, you just make apps for fun and you just throw them in the app store. I mean, when you have your developer account, you can put as many as you want in there. So uh, it just was something I threw in there and uh, the press caught, caught wind of it and it just kind of took off like wildfire. And I mean, literally every news station covered it. I was on CNN. I was on Howard Stern multiple times. Um, the New York Times covered it. The Jay Leno did it in his monologue. I mean, it was it was just crazy, and it ended up being that app ended up being number one in ninety four countries, and even um, some other countries actually stayed the number one app for multiple months. So, um, but I had no idea when I was going into it that that would be what would happen. And you're talking about years ago, right? So we're, you're not talking about, you know, using AI APIs or machine learning or any of these things that are happening today. You're really just talking about taking a picture and trying to figure out a rating based on like this binary data that you have. Well, so there's two versions. The first version was was random. Frankly, it didn't. It, it wasn't intended to do anything because all I was doing is trying to learn the camera for myself. I wasn't trying to do any facial recognition or anything. Uh, once that initial success came, I remade it. Took about a year. Made a version called Ugly Meter Pro, and that uh, used. It was more advanced. I actually got to uh, research the study of beauty. There's there's actual mathematics behind uh, how people perceive beauty in other people. And there's ratios oh. between facial features. And it was really fascinating. I learned a lot about it and it took what I learned, implemented it there, and then kind of reignited that whole success again. So so tell us about the, the mathematics of it. And that's kind of interesting. So how did you, like, how did you discover you know, how to implement this in your app. Like, what, like, tell us a little bit about the research that kind of went into that. So it was a while ago, but I don't remember how I initially got on the track of it, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of data out there and a lot of studies and a lot of, 
a lot of things about the the golden ratio between you know the you take any of these facial features like a simple one is like hey what's the width of your eye compared to the space between your eyes and most people it's pretty much exactly the same and there's between all these facial points say width of the nose and width of the mouth and the where the ears line up with the bottom of the nose there's all these things and in the perfect face mathematically all of these things line up and pretty much everyone has some variation like you know away from the perfect face and ugly meter pro took those and assigned a a mathematical value to give you a rating on one to a hundred on how attractive you were and i scanned thousands of faces testing once i and just dialing it in to pretty much pretty much great accuracy on what people consider attractive you know we use a lot of celebrities and things like that like people um stuff people knew and uh, i really dialed in it was kind of it was a fun process wow it's crazy and then you said you had over 30 million downloads from your ugly meter app yeah yeah it was pretty crazy how did that feel for you because I, I can only imagine how overwhelming that must be to for you being, hey, I just, I'm just really just trying to learn this thing. I want to put something together, see if it works. And I want a few people to use it, give me some feedback to, you know, it turning out to be 30 million downloads, right? Was it a free app too or, or no? No, it was paid. Um, one, wow. was a dollar, one was a dollar, one was probably Meter Pro was $5. Um, no, I, I had a blast. I... I had so much fun. It was it was exciting. It all happened so fast. I, I really didn't have much time to think about it because I literally woke up one day and the avalanche had started and and it just went and I, I rolled with it and uh, did a lot of interviews. There was days when I'd do radio shows when I would do 20 or 30 uh, ra- like morning radio shows in a single day. Um, it, it really was for a while what everybody was talking about and and it, it was pretty neat and I, and once things kind of simmered down a little bit it left me in a position of like wow like what's next I I never expected I love software I never expected to be in the software business professionally I started to think like well what could I do that would be great and what would really make me happy on a daily basis to do in this area? And what I realized is this success was was life-changing for me and it was so exciting and it was the greatest feeling in the world and it was so much fun. And I was like, you know what? I really learned a lot. I would like to help other people create that success with their ideas, which evolved into eventually what I'm doing now. So Ugly Meter... You know, you you had all this success and you had all this media attention. Were there any negatives to uh, all this media attention that you were getting? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't take it too seriously, but there, um, a lot of people didn't like it. They thought that it was, you know, they didn't realize it was just a, a fun thing. It was a joke. It was not meant to be taken too seriously. There's people that got all riled up that were you know, creating a tool that could be used by a bully and like the, or like you're ruining children because now they're going to be obsessed with how they look. And like, there's just the, I mean, and those, those people really came out of the woodwork and they would, um, they would threaten, um, they would show up place. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy. And I, um, I can handle that type of thing pretty well, thankfully, but 
It was a pretty cra- it was pretty crazy and the funny thing that a lot of these people didn't realize the the bullying topic was hot then so like that's kind of what people were were sticking on a lot and it was funny because they'd have these people just and you know everyone's tough online so they're emailing me like I'm going to I'll kill you if I saw you you're just blah, 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 blah. and right these I'm like like you're creating you're you're just bullying people you're doing this that and then I'm I'm sitting here like reading this email I'm like aren't you bullying me right now <laughs> like you know so it's kind of it was kind of funny so i didn't take it too seriously and thankfully nothing happened in that whole situation it's a lot of people that like to to be tough but you know that, that really is that really is the minority i think most people saw it for what it was and um it, it was fun did some of those comments ever make you take the app down or did you kind of just kind of ignore them and brush it to the side no, I just rolled with it. I mean, even like even the news stations, they they wanted to jump on the bandwagon, and we they I came into Fox News one day. Actually, they they're like, "Hey, yeah, we love the idea. We love your success. Blah blah blah." And we'd just love to interview on the morning national news. I'm like, "All right, great." So I come in there, and they they were all super positive and happy. And we sit down in the chair, and the first thing out of her mouth is, "How do you feel about creating the tool that's being used for bullies?" And I'm just like a deer in the headlights. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> and um, it, it was pretty funny, but uh, I mean, it, I, I knew this was all fabricated. So there was, uh, there's not one reported case of this ever happening. So I, I just turned to her and looked straight at her, and I was like, you know what? I'm actually okay with it. And <laughs> she, I, the situation, it was a quick 180 because she that she thought she was prepared for a fight. Right. Of like, you know, belittling me for what I've done. And and in that moment, I decided to embrace it. And uh, the interview actually ended pretty quickly because she didn't have much else to say. They, they certainly didn't prep nice. for that response. <laughs> so I kind of that was a little victory for me, I felt like. Well, we have a hard network out. Well, we'll uh, thanks a lot for coming on. And <laughs> right. Like you just took away all our ammunition. Like, oh, I don't know what to ask him now. Yeah, so it, it was fun. I, I I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun, and I, I learned a lot, and and it really was great. After you published this app, did you, I don't know, maybe get some developers together and decided, hey, I'm going to put a team behind this app and start keep working at it, or has it always just been you? You know, I, I, I never made this app to, like, truly take over the world like it kind of did for a while and so i never i never went any any further with it It, we took advantage of the press and the publicity and and all that and then i had a lot of incoming leads at that point so it was very public and uh, i started to get so many people with their app ideas because this earlier on in the app store everyone it was new everyone was excited everybody everybody had an app idea most people still do but uh, yeah. I had a lot of incoming people saying, hey, it was so great seeing what what you did and how you were successful. This is my app idea. Um, I'd like to make it happen. And the thing is, I'm one guy. I can't do everything. And I, I had a friend that I grew up with and uh, when we were kids and he moved off to Europe. And he actually was living in Poland at the time. And he's like, hey, I, I know these really smart engineers over here, these really smart guys. And how about instead of you saying no to everybody, like, why don't we maybe see if we can form a team and you can work with these clients like you really want to do. And then you can have the support of some great engineers in the back. So we found these two guys that are our partners today and some 
to the smartest people I know. And we started with them and, and it worked. And then the next thing, you know, we hired another person and hired another person. And, you know, it's been about four years since then. And, you know, we really created, we, we were in it because we loved it. We weren't ever motivated by trying to capture all the cash in the world. And so taking that app store success, turning it into swing dev, we created this team that provides uncompromised quality and delivery to clients. And right now we're, we're based in San Francisco. We have an office in Warsaw, Poland. We have a third office in Cape town and we're because of our commitment to only doing the best work we are and some great partners that i that i have also that came into the business we have become known in the bay area as and i mean all over the country as the guys to go to the vcs trust us uh, startups trust us our typical client now is like a funded startup or just a lot of times it's a guy with an idea and that true care and quality and commitment to client work became a culture of our company. And we we really made it up front. We would always deliver on time for people. We deliver on budget and all at all costs. And oddly enough, the in the software development world, that alone was a unique business model. It's a it's a it's a screwed up industry that has. Uh, far too low customer satisfaction rates, and and we tried to change that. So, Joe, let's let's talk about Swing Dev a little bit again. And so, you mentioned before, so Swing Dev is you know your your mobile development consultancy, right? And you work with startups and a lot of early stage companies to kind of help them realize their you know their software dreams and thoughts and stuff like like that, right? Uh, we started in mobile development. We do all software development now, and it's a combination of working with like funded startups who you know they they've received their VC money. They have to move fast. Uh, engineering hires in the Bay Area specifically are very hard. So we come in and we help bridge the gap. We help get them moving on a product while they build their team over time because it can take months to hire in this area. And we also really like though people that come to us with ideas and they they have an experience in an area and they know how they know a pain point that they could solve and they need help like sometimes people come to us with like literally drawings on a napkin they're like listen i know this industry i know this pain point this could solve this problem how can we do it and so we're not just a, a software team we're are almost business consultants. We go and we help them make a plan. We have designers. We design screens. We help them look at the markets, and we work with them to develop a product. It's almost like you're you're doing like team augmentation, right? Like it's not just hey, I'm gonna do this project for you, but like you said, you you look at the marketing, you look at the viability of the product, you look at the design. I'm guessing you do prototypes and wireframings and a lot of these other types of things to kind of help, you know, help them execute. Certainly. And we're, we're very flexible as a company too. We, we don't have it set in our heads that we operate in a certain way and we should operate in a certain way. I mean, the, on our team, there are the smartest people that I have met in my life. We do not confine them in any way. We encourage them to, to think about problems, to solve problems in ways where they they maybe haven't been solved before. We right. we really want engineers to like push back when they see something that they could change and like we encourage mistakes because if you're not making mistakes, you're not 
pushing your limits. So we kind of have a different approach than, than a lot of other software houses out there. And, you know, you mentioned a little while ago that people, you find people to be some of the most interesting things in a project. And, you know, I always find trying to navigate uh, the clients to not only figure out what they want, but, you know, to really figure out what they, what they need. Right. And because a lot of times they don't understand that. You know, what are, what are some of the things that you might do? Um, and, you know, maybe this might even be helpful to some of our listeners. You know, what are some of the things that you might do that kind of help really get your clients to focus in on, on trying to figure out where exactly is the value is and what exactly it is that they, they, they're trying to execute on? Yeah, so that you're exactly right. Their clients uh, a lot of times don't know what they want or they think they do and, you know, they they need to have a path carved for them to, to be successful. And, you know, we the key to us is we spend a lot of time up front. We spend a lot of time planning and we really try to craft a recipe for success. We work closely with the clients um, before we start any product we do a product design sprint where we basically interview the client we learn everything we can and our full team goes together and you know we look at uh, all the use cases the markets and we create the client this some you know 30 40 page document that at the end is like pretty much not only a business plan for them but a plan to execute this idea and um, we we work with them on whatever they're you know everyone has a budget it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are there's there's a budget and what we do is we work with clients we find out what they want to spend what they're willing to invest and then we actually create them a plan to fit what they want because really usually people have a, a big grand vision of what they want to do and it really needs to be pulled back into like a realistic a realistic approach and a realistic launch plan. So we spend a lot of time up front helping people do that. So I have a, a curious question. In your planning, how do you approach which technology solution to implement? It's it's really on a case-by-case basis. We have enough uh, variants in our team now that we have coverage on whatever we need to do. So we have um, architect system architects on our team that really, you know, look at each case and the market, like scalability, what it's going to need to do and all these things. And they create their recommendations. And then our, our CTO signs off on every single one of them. He, he sees every single project and, um, make sure that the, the approach is correct. Okay. So what about the, the technology trends coming up? Maybe you're not so close to that, but what are some of the things that you're you're seeing your company do um, pretty frequently to say, hey, maybe this is the, the next big thing. It's not changing a lot. It kind of depends on the client. Like there was, you know, native apps were the thing for a while. And then came along all these like tools that were supposedly, you know, going to make it better and easier. And we never really got into those because they're pretty much all crap. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more, uh, these days, uh, React is big, and that's for mobile apps, and th- that's that's the one I'm hearing lately for the most part. And so, you know, we have we have a great team, great JavaScript team, and we have a great native app team. But what approach we take is is truly dependent on a case by case basis. 
so it's really what the client's kind of digging and and what their requirements are, kind of the merge of the two. Yeah, so that, that's a great point. Like sometimes a client um, has their requirement of what technology they should use for either, uh, you know, like maybe they have experience in a certain area and they feel that's what they should use. So they have an understanding. Sometimes there are just certain technologies that in that person's market, they know they're going to have to build a team and it's easier to hire for. And that alone is a reason why that's the tech stack that we have to pick. And sometimes we get a blank slate, which we love. And they just have this idea and say, you know, we're open to what the right decision is. And then that allows our team to really look at it and make the right choices. Yeah, that's a conversation that Cecil and I have pretty frequently is, you know, there's so much going on, even just in a JavaScript space alone, the frameworks coming out, it's just utterly ridiculous. You just can't know it all. And, you know, we're, we're becoming more like doctors where we're very specialists. So what do you do? Well, I do a mix of data and C sharp and SQL server. And, you know, if there's someone's looking for a guy like me, that's, that's it. So you, you starting to see more of that type of specialties in developers where we're now, Hey, I'm this technology guy and, and you're going to slap him here if you have that technology need, or is there still... Are we still jack of all trades guy? Are those those still uh, applicable? No, that's it's it's all about specialties. There's um, any legitimate project these days is not being built by one guy or even two guys. It's a team. There's um, people have specialties now, and we we concentrate on only hiring the people that are truly the best at what they do and. Um, and those people have certain specialties, but yeah, it, everything's a team effort these days. It's not really, I mean, sure, sure. A guy can prototype and do MVPs and, and get, you know, some early beta versions out there too, but no, no single developer is building the, you know, massive scalable systems that are required today. So I've gotten the job now. Um, I'm working with you and your company and now it's time to, to divvy up assignments and work so so how does that work per se right like so you know you you're obviously running the consultancy and you know you have x amount of developers on your staff how do you decide what projects get worked on and who does what project and you know how does the organization of that happen the first thing to consider when we're looking at a project is do we actually believe in the project where we 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 only take projects we believe in. We only work with people that we believe can execute. And um, it doesn't mean they have to know everything, or but they they have to be someone that we can work with as a client to help them be successful with our knowledge. And you know they're going to have strengths. We're going to have strengths, and all of those things working together is really the first thing to figure out. And you know we know we know our people on our team what they're interested in. They're uh, we their industries like are they interested in real estate or are they interested in finance like we actually have profiles of each person on our team we we talk to them and we find out what's important to them and we do our best to match them up with areas they're interested in because if the developers are working in an area that they're passionate about the quality of the work is is so much more because they enjoy it and they they're working on something they care about. So we do our best to to make that match early on in any project. So do you have a process to quantify quality? I've always found that extremely difficult to do. We have a lot of processes <laughs> in place. I, <laughs> as far as 
defining quality. Um, I mean, yeah, we have metrics we measure and things like that, but you know, it's, it's subjective and it depends on the project and it depends on the complexity of a project. And really at the end of the day, our clients need to be happy and they have to be, they have to feel we over delivered. They have to feel that we did everything possible to create their success. And to me personally, in the position I'm in, that's how I, that's how I will measure quality is by, by those metrics. Does the, is the client happy and, you know, do they feel they got a great value by working with us? Do you ever say no to clients? Do you ever turn them down and say, I'm sorry, but we're not the right people to work with you? Absolutely. All the time. We, you know, we're, we're very, we're well known as a company. People come to us and we, we certainly tell people no. And if we probably tell people no as much as we tell people yes. And, and it's not only at that phase of do we, are they the right person to work with? It's, um, we, we tell clients up front say, listen, we're not, a we're not a, a team of yes men that are just going to come in and like, let you define how a project goes. I mean, of course you, it is your project. We're going to help you do that. But like, we, we will speak up if we, if we see decisions and, and the software or anything like that, that we don't agree with, or that we see red flags, we do a lot of planning up front. Um, of course we never force our decisions upon anybody, but we will provide our clients with all the information and all the education that we have to prepare them to make the decision that we think and our expertise is right. If they choose not to make that decision, that's, you know, that's up to them. But, um, we, we just really try to help them do that. And, and what you said, they, you know, about just kind of doing, being yes men, right? Like we, we, we tell them, we literally say like, we, we are not yes men. If you're looking for a team of yes men, just we'll, we will give you a nice referral to another team that will do whatever you say, whether it's bad or good, but we, we are not those guys. One of the things I, I like about some of the things you've been saying so far is that I'm, I'm kind of getting the feel from you that you're, you have a very close knit company. It sounds like, it sounds like, you know, you guys sit down, you have a lot of conversations about processes and the way that you should do things and, and, and how that type of stuff happens. Um, I guess I want to know, like, what's your, you know, what is the, the culture and the community feel like of your company? We are a very, very close family. It's, um, we spend a lot of time there. And one of the things we did from the beginning, even when it was just a few of us is on Fridays, we'd rotate and someone would cook breakfast for the rest of the office. And, um, it's gotten harder over time, but, uh, it's important to us. It's important for people to want to be at the office and not just for work, but to be with people they, you know, they enjoy and people that, match them as far as like we everyone on our team has to have a path of how they're going to improve and they need to be learning as they go like that's that's part of what we expect and we we all do that together and it's it's something you have to actively do though because if you you know keeping the right culture and keeping the close-knit team and you know it really shows in the work and it really shows to the clients because we treat the clients the same way like we don't get involved with a client unless we, we believe in them and what they do. And we, we really care about their success. And so they, as when someone starts working with us as a company, they, they kind of become part of that group. And some of our clients have actually become like great friends over the years. Nice. And, and I heard you mention that you call them family, right? And, you know, all families, you know, you, 
you work together and you play together, right? Like there, you have that balance and that dynamic that you you try to maintain. So what are some of the things that you might do with your, your employees in terms of, let's say, to kind of, you know, push that, that interaction and that, um, you know, that camaraderie together? Uh, it's it's about just being together and uh, not always focused on work. Like we uh, we have this amazing loft in downtown Warsaw, and we host events there. We we throw parties for the guys. It's it's very unique for Poland. It's it, we're pretty much the only ones that do this there, and we do educational talks. Our guys speak uh, on topics like. We had it's security month this month. We're doing talks on security, and it's not just for our team. It's it's open for the, the whole developer community. These are community things. We invite the other dev houses and the other developers to come, you know, watch these talks, participate in them, or anything. And you know, we did machine learning last month, and the people on our team are passionate about these things, and and these type of events engage them and uh, keep them excited and everyone everyone does this stuff together so it just when you do that it just naturally forms an environment where people become close so so joe i gotta ask you so we've, we've definitely spoken a lot about your past and you know your companies the apps you've built we've spoken about um swing dev a little bit so why don't you tell us what are some of the things that you do too when you're not so busy working and you know building apps and software um, that's kind of my life right now. I, you know, it's the business is still growing. Things are doing well. I, I love it. I, I travel a lot. I mean, I would I'd say I'm on the road a big portion of the year and, you know, I'm, I'm in San Francisco a lot. I'm at our office in Warsaw and, you know, in other cities meeting with partners and, you know, so a lot of international travel keeps me busy. I don't really have a lot of spare time right now. We'd like to thank Joe for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to talk to him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes a tick, sign up to our newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll be speaking to computer science instructor and Microsoft software engineer, Casey Champion. Um, but they have what one of the lands is called the American Waterfront, and there is nothing more hilarious than Disney Japanese interpretation of America. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, it's the America oh I gosh. wish I lived in. So, really? yeah. Oh my gosh. No, I got to go over there and see this. I loved this conversation. Because you guys spoke about Disney for like half the conversation. That's what you loved it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there anything better than Disney? Seriously? Hey, man. Can't, can't, can't fight the mouse, man. No. No, you can't. Can't fight the mouse. No, but just give the mouse your money. He's going to get it anyway. <laughs> but no, this was a really cool conversation, and, and I'm, I'm glad we got to get Casey on the show. Like me and her have been going back and forth for probably a little bit over a year now, so it's definitely good to you know have her thoughts and you know some of her ideas about education on the on the podcast. 
It was a fun one. All right, now go home now. Bye. Peace. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego. Wow. So, so Richie, you think I can get him to do one for my Nintendo Switch that I have two of sitting in my house right now? <laughs> two. See, that's what I'm talking oh. about, man. <laughs> that's what I'm, that, that kind of crap is what I'm talking about. <laughs> this reminds me of Dumb and Dumber when he pulls out. He's, they're both freezing and he pulls off the extra gloves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, look at this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh.